Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures, as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. In 1982, at the tender age of 23, Elspeth Beard set off on a solo trip around the world on her BMW motorbike. The journey took two and a half years and covered 35,000 miles. She set off by herself with no sponsorship or support in an age before email, mobile phones, sat-navs, none of that. And it wasn't until 2008 that she discovered she had become the first British woman to ride a motorcycle around the world. Shortly after she discovered all those things, she decided to write a book. And in 2015, her book, Lone Rider, came out. And honestly, it was one of my lockdown books of the year last year. I absolutely loved it and told her so at the time. And then many months after starting a podcast about extraordinary women, I thought, oh, hold on a minute. I know who I need to speak to. And it was just so fun. Really, really fun. We talked about the trip. We talked about the hardships, both physically and mentally, and also emotionally. We talked about her determination to get round, the total disinterest of her parents and how that made her feel, highs and lows of an extraordinary, extraordinary journey, love triangles and all sorts of hijinks on the road. And of course, what the trip gave her for the rest of her life, even though for much of the time, she just thinks, well, it's just something I did. Well, I love this conversation. Elspeth is funny and interesting and fairly modest about her achievements, but I think quietly proud of what she did and what she uh, managed to do back in the day. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Elspeth. How are you? Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Katie. I'm very well, thank you. Great. Well, um, quite often when I have guests on the show, I find the guest, I then find their book or their movie and I read it and I, you know, um, or I watch it and then I talk to them about it. But in your case, it actually came the other way around. Before the podcast was even a twinkle in my eye, I came across your book during lockdown last year. And I just absolutely, I don't think anybody was fed or watered or had any laundry done for about two days as I just like immersed myself in your incredible book. What what an absolutely phenomenal story. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really funny because at the time when I got back, I didn't really think of it as anything that was that extraordinary. It was just sort of something I did. And it's very odd that with all the passing of time and 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 now, because obviously, you know, I didn't write my book until 35 years after I got back from my trip and revisiting um, my diaries and my photographs and all the experiences that I had when I was, because I was only 23 when I left uh, on my round the world uh, mm. trip. And... Um, you know, to sort of look back at it all 35 years later was a very weird experience. And then writing the whole book and it all coming back to me. And and suddenly I kind of thought, actually, that was quite quite a cool thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and that was quite a brave thing to do. But sort of oddly at the time, 
I didn't kind of think of it like like that at all. I just sort of did it. Yeah, it's extraordinary. And the recall, I mean, the fact that it took you 35, not took you, but 35 years later, you're saying you looked, thank goodness you kept journals and all your, you know, I read at the end that you'd put together, you know, sort of like almost like a scrapbook with your photos and the route and everything. And was it easy to recall once you started or were there bits where you thought, hold on a minute, I don't really remember this? There were no, there, I mean, there were quite a lot of bits that I didn't remember. I mean, the thing is, when I got back from my trip in 1984, absolutely nobody wanted to know mm. about what I'd done. I mean, I contacted some bike press and, uh, you know, the newspapers, and I, I was very much given the cold shoulder. And it was almost as if people either couldn't accept what I'd done or didn't want to or just weren't interested. It was probably a, you know, a mixture of all three, really. Mm. But they, and so I very much sort of boxed it all away um, and just, just you know, got on with the rest of my life. And I never really thought about my trip, I, you know, because I, I, you know, I finished off my architecture training. Um, I then went and bought a water tower. I spent seven years building that. Um, and then I started up my own um, architectural practice, which has been really busy and kept me. And then I've done lots of traveling and lots of other trips. And so I, I just sort of moved on with my life. And it so it was very much sort of in my past. Um, so, it, you know, it was it was sort of, you know, to and it was really only when it was my, I think somebody that's right, a friend of mine put uh, some pictures up on the internet and it was that sort of black and white picture that, mm. that of me when I got back that sort of apparently become sort of iconic <laughs> <laughs> for whatever that means um, but it's apparently become iconic uh, photo and that kind of pinged its way around the internet for, for four or five years and I mean but that, that was in 2007 I think mm. or 2008 and then it was only in 2014 that a, uh, a sort of agent in Hollywood came across my story on the internet because it was so sort of blogged and shared mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. And it was only really then that I realised, my goodness, people are in- interested in what I did. Mm. They're, they're, you know, people are sort of, and uh, which which took me several years to kind of appreciate that people were actually interested having not had anybody interested for 30 years um and so it was really all this Hollywood um (laughs) interest wanting to make a film which I found really bizarre um that that then spurred me on to write my book um but it did take you know it did take like two years it was Mm. a lot of lot of hard work because but I was amazingly organized and efficient Mm. when I when I was on my trip I mean like I kept everything all my letters that people sent me um literally at the end of every um section so when I got to the end of America I would package all my insurance documents my customs forms my letters that my parents had written me uh everything all my paperwork I would bundle it up into an envelope and post it home and then when I got to Australia I did the same with when I got to the end of Southeast Asia I posted it back from Singapore I think and then so literally when I got home I had 
this whole pile of paper that was, mm. and I, I mean, I mean, I didn't look at any of it at, mm. at the time. I just shoved it in a box, and that's where it stayed. But, but I had, I took loads of photographs, um, and the other, I used to do these, these, um, these micro cassette recordings oh, that yeah. I used to send that I used to send home because um, my dad was a bit of a you know techie person he loved anything new and and in the early 80s the the micro uh, you know the small cassette recorders yeah. had come out so he sent me one out when I was out in Sydney so every two or three days or something I'd talk into this machine oh, wow. and then when the, and then when the tape was full I would send it home <laughs> and and he kept all my tapes so I've still got them all amazing and and I mean a lot of them had deteriorated and I had to get them you know sort of Re redone and reworked mm. and, and whatever. So, um, so I had all these tapes that, that covered all Australia, Southeast Asia, and half of India. I think halfway through India, I stopped so that's <laughs> send, sending them home. Um, so, uh, but I had all of those. So, I, I it it was all there. It mm. was just all in different bits, and it all needed to be pulled. Uh, you know. So, but it was a it was a hell of a task, I have to say. Well, I can imagine. So, I mean, there's so much to take out of what you just said. So, I'm going to tackle a bit at a time. So, how did it feel? So, I've read obviously the book, and I've just skim read it again over the weekend, uh, and it's just so brilliant. Um, how did it feel when you came home? Because one of the reasons I contacted you. Um, I'm going to let you answer in a second. But one of the reasons I contacted you when I first read the book was because when I was 23, a few years later, a few years after you'd done yours, I also went traveling around the world. I didn't go on a motorbike. I just went by, you know, planes, trains and automobiles and the Greyhound bus across America, which most Americans absolutely recoil in horror at. But it was brilliant. And I just. I. I had a similar feeling when I came home after I was away for 16 months, a very similar feeling that people were like, yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but, and so I kind of understood it with mine because it was not anything that I, you know, people hadn't done, but yours with the bike, it must've, I don't know. How did it feel to you that people weren't that interested? I think, um, I don't know. I think my family, I, I found my, you know, the attitude of my family towards, well, A, towards my trip before I left. Mm. I mean, my parents were very much against it, which I can understand. I mean, now I'm a parent. I can <laughs> understand. I can understand it. Um, but they were very, and I think, and I think looking back, it was probably, my mother's way of dealing with it mm. so she she almost pretended it wasn't happening mm. she she had this total disinterest in my trip she didn't want to know she didn't ask any questions she hated motorbikes you know so and I think that was probably looking back now her way of dealing with what mm. I was doing at the time I was very hurt by it I mm. thought you know I I had done this trip I mean I didn't think it was that amazing but I thought it was a you know I felt it I mean it was an achievement mm. um, and they didn't seem to be able to recognize it as any kind of achievement mm. and that and that did I find I, I found very hurtful at the time um, I mean I think my friends 
I don't know. I mean, it's as you say, it's it's expecting people to be interested in your holiday snaps. You know, <laughs> yeah. that they're kind of interested for a minute or two, and then it's actually very boring for them. So, mm-hmm. but I, I was a little bit. But I think I think I struggled also because I had had such an incredible. Uh, sort of intense um, adventure where, you know, I'd sort of lived every minute of every day trying mm. to survive or deal with challenges and this and that. And and suddenly all of that was taken away mm. and it was just kind of coming back to what was just an incredibly boring life where <laughs> kind of where just nothing happened. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. There was there was no challenges. There was nothing to do. It was just it was, and that I think I struggled with as well. Um, so it was a whole combination of of um, of problems, or not problems, but it did. T- I mean, it probably took me a you know a couple of years really mm. to to uh, kind of accept. And I think it was sort of accepting that my trip was over. Um, accepting that nobody was interested. I mean, fortunately, in those because you know there wasn't all the you know the social media mm. that there is now. So it wasn't as if I did the trip and and uh, you know blogged about it and posted <laughs> about it every fifteen minutes or whatever. You know, I was I. I it was a very solo, very personal journey mm. that I did, and I did it very much for myself. So it, it wasn't that. Um, it was just a total lack of of, uh, of of interest. I mean, not only from my friends and my family, but from but from the whole you know motorcycling mm. world. It was so it was disappointing. Mm. Um, I have to say, I, I did find it quite quite um, yeah, just sort of hurtful. Really, I think that's the way I would yeah, describe no, I, it. I, I get that, and I think it's interesting the point you make about social media because. I think um, I was exactly the same as you. No email, no phone, no nothing. Just the the beloved post restaurant and addresses that people had been given before I left, you know, that they could write to, which I found just so extraordinary. And, you know, you'd arrived to a big bunch of letters, but then you come home and there's like, well, for you, it was two years for me. It was nearly a year and a half of everything to fit into, you know, all the time. Whereas I think maybe in this day and age with people following on social media, they have an idea of what you've been doing. And so there's sort of a bit more of an involvement and a bit more of, you know, you can be almost be with the person. So with us, you're like, you come home and you're like, here's everything that happened in the last two years. And everyone's like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's true. But I also think that when we, you know, that when you traveled in the early eighties, it was, it was far more of a sort of unusual thing to do. Mm. And so there were far less people who, who had traveled. And so there were far less people who understood what it was like to travel like that. Or so trying to find like-minded people who could, understand Mm. what it was like to be in the middle of a desert and your bike breaks down and Mm. you've got no water you know then you know which you say to most people but but now I think and I think because there is so much more uh, out there people can read about other people's stories Mm. and experiences Mm. so it's it's just people are a lot more you know knowledgeable now about traveling and what people are other people do whereas when we did it it was it was sort of 
it was a very foreign thing and people mm. just couldn't actually relate to it at all. That's what I felt, that people just couldn't understand, couldn't relate to it and almost just didn't want to know. Yeah, no, it's extraordinary. And I wonder, though, you mentioned earlier that you didn't realise at the time that it was brave. Do you think now that it was brave? I don't know. I suppose I see myself. I mean, I, I look back and I see a 23-year-old Elspeth. <laughs> yeah. And I think I was so naive, you know, but in fact, that was probably a good thing. But I was also incredibly determined. Mm. I mean, I really did. I, I, I was going to get myself on my motorbike around the world if I had to drag it. And I, <laughs> I mean, literally, I was so determined. Mm. What You know, whatever happened, whatever knockbacks I had, accidents, illnesses, all the stuff I had to go through. I just, I don't know, I just had this sort of, I just kind of picked myself up and, you know, dusted myself down and off we go again, you know. And I very much had that sort of um, way of thinking. But um, I don't know, it's, it's, and I, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think at the time I knew it was a fairly un- sort of unusual thing to do mm. now now I look back I suppose I don't know whether I see it as brave I, I think I just see it as uh, I I still see it as something I just did mm. and it's funny because when you said there all the things when I prep, prep for an interview I quite often just have to kind of empty my brain and then write down all the things I really want to know or I've really taken from the person's book <laughs> the two things that the first two things I wrote on my list were resilience and stubbornness <laughs> I mean- <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I took from it that regardless of everything because you came off the bike quite seriously uh, certainly at least a couple of times that I remember from the book you had all sorts of illnesses and so on and at, at one point you even had a miscarriage and you just kept going and then I mean it's absolutely extraordinary I yeah but I, I think also I think you have to the the you know it was much harder in those days just to um sort of think oh I'm tired of this I'm going to just fly home mm. and 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 that was never in my mind at all Mm. and and the other problem is that actually with a motorbike in those days because they used to write uh the motorbike into your passport you weren't you weren't actually allowed to leave any of the countries without your bike (laughs) so 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 you know because people often say to me oh when you had that really bad accident in thailand or something why didn't you just get on a plane and fly home (laughs) and it wasn't an option Mm. I couldn't do it. And and so I think when you have that knowledge that it isn't an option, you cannot go home. You cannot just give up and go home. You have to carry on. Um, so it wasn't something I ever, as I say, I never even, it never crossed my mind for no. a second, I'm just going to go home. No. My only, every single everything, all of my thoughts was, how am I going to carry on? What do I need to do? How do I fix my bike? Mm -hmm. When's my, when's (laughs) my broken toe going to be better? When's my, you know, it was all this, it was just thinking about, it was always moving forward. There was nothing ever thought in my head about giving up or going home or anything, not once. 
No, I, I, I get that. And I, I, I wonder if that's partly to do with the fact that you knew at home there was this sort of expectation that maybe you might. Well, yes, exactly, exactly. I certainly felt that there was this expectation that I would, I, I would be back home in, in, in a few months, you know, mm. or I'd never make it. And I think all of my friends, I don't think any of them thought I would actually do it. Um, and I had no idea what my parents thought, whether they thought <laughs> I'd do it or not, because they never said. But um, so, yes, and I was very determined to, mm. you know, to prove that that I could do it and I was going to do it. And talking of sort of the tough times, can you tell us about a couple of times where you really, although there was never this thought of going home where you thought, I don't know how I'm going to move past this. This is as low as I can probably go. Every any time I came off my bike and had an accident, they were tough. Um, when I came off in Australia, that was probably my worst accident. Mm. When I when I cartwheeled my bike uh, in the outback, and I was incredibly lucky that I happened to just literally two days before, I had met up with these with Tom and Ewan who were riding um, um, another bike, and so they were behind me. Um, so. I mean, had they not been there, and uh, I probably would have died because I was mm. literally in the middle of the outback, absolutely in the middle of nowhere, and I was concussed. And they got, you know, they sorted out the ambulance, got me to hospital, and I, I otherwise I just would have been lying on the road. Mm. And and so I was incredibly lucky, but it was times like that, um, and. Uh, that was probably the the hardest time because my bike was really smashed up and mm. I had to do a lot of repairs to it. So, and I think, so I think that was probably, I really had to sort of dig deep, if you know what I mean, mm. to, to find the strengths to repair my bike, repair myself. And I was quite scared about getting back on the bike. Mm. And, I, and I think it's because when I fell off and I hit my head and I was concussed, I had no memory of the accident at all. Mm. And I still don't to this day. I have yeah. absolutely no memory. And I think when you kind of fall off a bike, if you, know if you can remember it and you know what you've done wrong mm. then you kind of don't mind but when you actually don't know what you did wrong you're, you <laughs> it just makes you really scared mm. and so whenever I went on dirt roads after that I was kind of really scared because I didn't know what I'd done wrong before mm. like not to, like not to do it again so um so that was um but there were I don't know there were many times where I mean, obviously, the, you know, there was sort of a lot of personal things that mm. um, when I had the miscarriage, uh, when I was in New Zealand, that was that was pretty tough. But that was like sort of emotionally tough, mm. um, whereas the accident in Australia was more physical. I had to, mm. you know, I had to repair my body and I had to, it was just hard work doing my bike, but it was all fairly practical. Mm. Um Whereas the miscarriage, yes, that was sort of emotionally quite hard to deal with. Because, especially as you, you hadn't even known you were pregnant. I know, I know. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I was four months. <laughs> I couldn't wow. believe it. But I just didn't, it just didn't occur to me. Mm. And, um, and I know it sounds very odd, but, you know, I'd stopped taking the pill just before I left. And... Um, 
and they do say that when you if you stop taking the pill then your period can be very you know irregular and I just thought that I that that's what it was yeah that, that it was just irregular and they could you know they'd start again soon and I mean I was tired when I was riding across America I was very tired a lot of the time but I just thought well of course I'm tired I'm riding a motorbike 500 <laughs> miles a day <laughs> you know I'm not going to think oh I'm pregnant you know it just yeah. didn't occur to me so and I know some people might find that a bit odd you must have known you were pregnant but mm. I really really didn't mm. I didn't have a clue wow and then of course you know in the early 80s you know the whole thing and you were far from home and you you know were with people that were I think it was extended family and there was this sort of kind of slight awkwardness about you Mm. know 23 year old not didn't know she was pregnant now had a miscarriage I mean it must have been yeah very mentally emotionally challenging it was it was um yeah it was very difficult yeah um, and so the other thing I remember from the book, and I know this is going to sound like a really bizarre thing to say, um, but you were so canny with your money <laughs> because that's the one thing in your book that I thought, oh man, I wish I'd been better at that because I just was terrible with my money when I was away. And you were so good about extra jobs and saving this and not spending it on that. I find it absolutely incredible. I think you got that from your dad though, from what I I did. Yeah. Mm. I mean, my dad was, I mean, I mean, a lot of people called him mean. I I never thought he was mean. I just said he was careful. Mm. I think it's a much better way to say it. Um, No, but he was very canny. And I, well, uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, I didn't have a credit card. I couldn't Mm. just go to the bank and say, oh, can you, I'll just get get a bit more money. I mean, all I had was my traveller's checks that I was carrying in my money belt around my waist. Mm. And those had to get me home. Yeah. And I knew, and I knew that my, um, you know, I, I, I sort of worked out these fixed costs, like my petrol, my oil. I knew when I'd have to service my bike. I could ride. I didn't really know how many miles I was going to do, but I could sort of, you know, do a sort of, you know, approximation of the mile, of the mileage. So I, I, I had my fixed costs that I couldn't do anything about. Mm. And then I had all my other costs, like where I slept, what I ate, which I could do things about. Mm. And though, and I was incredibly mean with with myself I remember when I was when I was traveling in in India if I spent more than 20 pence a day Mm. on food and accommodation I was really angry with myself (laughs) (laughs) I mean it was ridiculous and you know I would argue with these locals for like 10 minutes trying to save you know a penny Mm. um but you know every penny counted and um and I was just, and I didn't know what was going to happen. That was the yeah. other thing. If if I had an accident and had to hold up in a ho- in a hotel <laughs> in a hospital mm. for you know for two months, that was going to cost me money. Yeah, and uh, and I wouldn't be moving. And mm. and so and so I always like to have a little bit of of a float uh, for you know you know emergencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I was uh, literally I would I would count my money uh, every two or three days, mm-hmm. and I would write in my diary how much I had in in travellers checks, how much I had in cash, how much I had in my purse, how much I and it would be down to the last cent or the last mm-hmm. literally, and I would and I would monitor it every two or three days. 
Extraordinary. And has that carried on into your, the rest of your life? <laughs> have, you, have you stayed well, like that? I mean, uh, hopefully well. you're spending more than 20p a day sometimes, but you know. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've got better. I have got better. Um, I, I was fairly, I would say, um, I, I, I've always been very careful. Um, I mean, now, now I have, I mean, the thing is now I'm very happy to spend money, mm. but I, I, I hate wasting yes. money, which I'm sure is the same as most people. Yes. So, you know, when I get a parking ticket, Ooh, I get very annoyed yes. because that's just a waste. You know, so if I'm stupid and I waste money, that really pisses me <laughs> off. But I'm but I'm much but now I find it much easier to spend money. And maybe because I'm maybe because I'm older mm. and I've I've obviously I've I've got more money now because I've been working for 30 years and um, mm. so it's 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 sort of slightly shifted a bit. But <laughs> I'm I, I'm always canny with my mm-hmm. yes, I am. I I, I I I think that's something that's ingrained. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's not something you can you can take out of yourself. No, I don't think so. I mean. um, so I was thinking about uh, you know you were saying you didn't know what was going to happen and you had accidents and so on. I wonder because you know it, it, it just in general. I wonder, but but also in light of sort of the recent um, press on personal safety because there were quite a few times when you were in some fairly sticky situations with men or groups or or whatever it might be how did you feel about those and how do you feel about that in hindsight I think when you when you travel I think it's very important um, you know the way you 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 kind of hold yourself mm. and I, I, I'm quite fortunate because I'm nearly six foot Mm. tall I'm five I'm five eleven so you know I am very so I I so in certain countries you know like in the far east where you know the people are are quite short you know I did kind of stand out and I think I was quite a um you know I, I don't think many people would have sort of um tried to take me on if you know what I mean because I did have this this and I and I would always kind of strive with confidence and I would mm. always look, although probably most of the time I wasn't at all, but <laughs> that was, it was this whole aura that I kind of tried to, um, to have. And it sort of varied in different countries, to be honest. I mean, in, in, I, mean I did find, you know, the Muslim countries probably the hardest uh, countries to travel through. Mm. Um, and I was very. It made a huge difference when I was uh, when I met up with Robert, mm. who is this Dutch guy who I met in India, and we travelled together through Pakistan and Iran. And I was incredibly, uh, uh, you know, grateful to to have him um, with me travelling through 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 those countries. But it was. I think I just treated it as something I was. Going uh, that I had to put up with mm. and had to, in, in, you know, endure if I was going to achieve my goal, mm. and and I sort of accepted it as um, as part of the part of the deal, really. Mm. That you know things might happen, I was going to be, you know, harassed and molested, and and uh, you know, it was just going to happen. Mm. And and I and I sort of before I left on my trip. I mean, I had travelled quite mm. a bit before I left. In um, uh, I mean, I'd been to Egypt. Uh, I'd travelled to other parts of North Africa. I'd 
I don't know. I, I just travelled a bit. Yeah. So I, I sort of knew a bit what I was going into and I knew it wasn't going to be um, easy at, at times. Um, but I just did mentally accept that things might happen that weren't going to be very pleasant mm. and I would just have to get through them. Yeah. And I did brush them, you know, brush them aside almost once they'd happened. Mm. Um, I didn't let them... Uh, I didn't want them to make me angry yeah. and, and waste mental energy getting angry at something that somebody had done to me. I'd rather use my mental energy on, you know, making sure my bike was going or making sure I was healthy mm. or making, I, I, I'd rather use my, you know, what, what mental um, uh, energy I, I had I, I I wanted to use it efficiently mm. in the right way and not mull over mm. um, this stuff that somebody had done this or groped me and I was really angry mm. and blah, blah, blah. you know what I mean yeah. it's just it's just a waste it's just a waste of of and so I just went right that's happened jump, off off we go and I would just carry on yeah and it was just it was gone it was done it happened I'm still okay I've still got my bike I'm still on on the road that's the important thing and I was very and I don't know why I was like that um but I just sort of mentally set my brain to think like mm. that and I think that helped a lot uh, rather than getting you know up upset about it or thinking how dare they or yeah. I, I don't know it's no, just yeah I get it I completely get it because I am also five foot eleven and feel very similarly uh, that when I was traveling I I always say I'm amazed that nothing really terrible happened to me and then sometimes I think lots of terrible things happened like not really really like end of the world terrible but lots of things that you just and I find it extraordinary that you say same as I think and same as a lot of women think that and um, we <laughs> we quite probably shouldn't think like that well it's just one of those things it, it's it's funny when you look back and you that same that sort of thing where you think god it could have been so much worse but at the same time there were things that you think that's really not a acceptable <laughs> i know i know but 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 it was kind of different then as well mm. because we we i don't know women we, we, we kind of did accept it a lot yeah. more than women than women do now uh, which is which is a really good thing i think it's great that women sort of you know say no that's not acceptable yeah. and blah 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 whereas we you know the the well, certainly, you know, the, the, the you know, growing up in the 70s and, you know, it was very much almost ex sort of, you know, accepted yeah. that, that we had to put up with all this stuff yeah. <laughs> no I know and, and 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 we didn't really complain and that's why you know you just have to not let it affect what you want to do you just yeah. have to shut you know which as you say it's not really um it's not how it should you know, we, be but that's how it's it not was. how it should be but that's how it was exactly yeah, totally totally now you touched on there uh, uh traveling with robert and i was i i just i really loved the theme that run ran through you know the whole the whole book of the sort of um the sort of love interests if you like it's kind of a very cheesy word to use but since we're talking you know 80s <laughs> But, I, you know, and I, you know, I, I read it and I read it when I read it again, I sort of saw it slightly differently from a, you know, you were 23. And when we're 23, my word, you know, what do we know about that sort of thing? You know, 
you 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 value your freedom you there's the the safe boy from home and there's the great guy that you meet on the road and there's this this theme throughout the whole book that ended with I'm not going to spoil it for everybody but <laughs> you know it is it, there's a kind of a sad ending well there's a happy ending and a sad ending and I just I wanted to if you could talk a little bit about it without maybe ruining it well you can tell as much as you like but <laughs> yeah I mean I think like like any uh, 23 year old you're you know you're discovering um you know you're very much learning about yourself and discovering um, things. And that's what I very much did in the book. I mean, obviously, you know, discovering myself about, you know, how far I could be pushed and tested and my my levels of endurance, but mm. also with my emotional and my love life. And, and I think, you know, I think what comes across, I hope, in the book is that how very unsure I was mm. about things. And, and, and I think that's the way people are, yeah. you know, you don't, no, you you are uh, trying to work things out, and um, you know, and you do have these uh, outside pressures um, from your family or your parents who who want you to be and live a certain life and and uh, um, be a certain way, um, and they can't accept anything that doesn't conform to what they think is you should you know, the life that you should be leading mm. because that's what they believe, you know, if you live this sort of life, then you're going to be happy. Yeah. Um, and, but that was very much of the, you know, the way the previous generation used to think, yeah. you know, that it was a very much a set um, thing that you did in life in order to be happy. Whereas now, obviously it's a bit different. Um, so it's, it was, it was a very, it was a very, yeah, I mean, I, I did struggle with a, a lot of um, of emotions yeah. <laughs> during during the trip. And, and also the end was, it was sad um, how it finished. Um, but as you say, it's sort of happy and sad. But mm. then that is life. Yeah. You know, uh, it's not. It's that's just what happens in life. Yeah, no, it's true. And I was, I, you're right. It does come across in the book, the uncertainty. And I loved, I really loved that part of it because, you know, on the one hand, you've got this sort of stubborn, resilient, I'm going to get my bike home regardless, you know, and despite all the setbacks. And on the other hand, this sort of, ah, one day I feel like this, the next week I feel differently. And I think that you're absolutely right. It speaks to the emotions and the mind of a 23 year old and no wonder you were so emotional there was you were pushing your body and your mind and your emotions and everything through extraordinary hardships certainly through the last part of the trip um mm. so yeah no it definitely it does come across and we talked about the coming home and the sort of the aftermath you bought your you know the, the sort of disappointment that nobody was really that interested the bike gathering dust for a while and then you bought your tower, you got together with Mark and had a baby and then lost your dad and your childhood home. And there was a great big period of, of, of sadness. Sadness is probably sounds a little bit light. I think, you know, sort mm. of postnatal depression. Yeah, no, that, that was probably the, the hardest time in my life, mm. actually. Um, 
that and I was still you know I mean I know I you know I said before that I managed to you know it took me like two years to to you know to uh, sort myself out really after I got back but it was much much longer you mm-hmm. know and I, and I don't really think it ever you know I think I was changed for for like ever yeah. and I think actually it, it it was always there and always with me and I think it I think the trip made me quite a restless person mm. and I'm still restless now mm. and I still need challenges I still need to find new projects I still need to push myself mm-hmm. I still need to feel I'm achieving and you know all of that you know is good in some ways but it's not good in other ways mm. so um I, it's sorry, I can't remember what the question was. No, it was just about. It was just. It was actually really about that. It's the sort of you called it in your book. The the title of the chapter was aftermath, which I thought yeah. was really good because that sort of kind of conjures up, you know, after a war, after a something really chaotic and big and messy, and 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 it was in in many ways, although it clearly yeah. was incredible. It was big. It was massive. And I wondered, I sort of wondered how it, uh, you've kind of touched on it anyway, it was really how, do, how did it shape the rest of your life? Yeah, I think, I think the trip um, was, a, yeah, it was very pivotal to, to, to in my life. I mean, I think the thing like everything I did after my trip was, you know, it just gave me such courage and self-confidence, uh, self belief that I could do anything, tackle anything. Um, there wasn't anything I couldn't do. I mean, when mm. I when I bought the water tower, and this was back in 1988, so there, there hadn't really, you know, and the, and the council around here had never dealt with a with a you know somebody converting a 130 foot high. Uh, mm-hmm. building it into a house and they didn't yeah. you know so it was all again it was all kind of into the unknown mm-hmm. and and when you're sort of going into the unknown nobody wants to 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 you know to take a risk or and so before I bought the water tower the local council said we will never give you planning or listed building consent to turn it into a house because there are just all these problems, you know, there's means of escape, mm. there's fire, there's overlooking, you know, they kind of reeled off this whole list <laughs> of these kind of major, major problems. And I just, at the time, I thought, well, that's fine. I'll just work my way through them, <laughs> you know, and it gave me that confidence that I didn't have a clue how I would do it. And I didn't have a clue. I just didn't, I, but I just thought, I'll find a way. There will be a way. I will work out a solution. There is you know there is a problem I can't deal with and I think it was that that the trip gave me that that that, mm. that, that I was just I was prepared to take on anything and and also because the trip had been such a an incredible experience and, and it was almost trying to rediscover <clears throat> sorry a sort of rediscover that thing of excitement and and, a, and another challenge and another mm. project and something to focus on. And, and, and so the water tower very much became that um, it sort of, it totally took over my life uh, <laughs> for seven years, wow. um, you know, with all this, my father dying and becoming a mother. And then I split up with Mark and became a single parent. And, you know, I had this incredibly difficult time right in the middle of it. 
um, but had to, again, you know, dig deep and find that inner strength to, to you know, just to carry on. You cannot give up. You, you know, you just have to find the strength and you have to carry on. Um, and I did. But it was tough. It was really, really tough and probably harder than anything I did on my round the world trip. Mm. I'm wondering, though, you said you mentioned very briefly a minute ago, you said you think it was already there. And and I'm wondering whether you wonder whether you think the trip just solidified something that was already in you. Possibly, possibly. I think I think I was always. I was, I mean, I was always fairly stubborn and very determined. I think those were my kind of characteristics. Um, I was always a very shy person. I was very quiet. Um, I never, when I was growing up, when I was young, I would never really speak very much. I was very, a very quiet person, but I would think a lot. I, <laughs> mm. um, and it possibly, yes, it probably was there. It was, it was the trip. I just, it just you know, I learned on the trip mm. that actually I do have all these qualities. I do have these abilities. I can do this stuff. Um, and unless, you know, and, and the trip, because the trip forces you into these situations where you have no choice but to deal with it. Mm. And, you know, I, I always think that most people can probably deal with a lot more things than they yeah. realise they can. But it's it's just taking yourself out to make yourself do something which doesn't always feel comfortable. It's quite yeah. a hard thing to do. But actually, once you've done it, you you, you it just it, it 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 changes you. And then you think, yeah. well, actually, I can do that. So oh, I think I could do this, <laughs> and then I could do this, and then and then all of a sudden, you'll find yourself doing some extraordinary thing that you would never imagined you would have done. And it's just the little steps you have to take, not the huge step, but you just, and that's what I did. It was just a series of little steps of, of just learning and pushing yourself a little bit more, a little bit more. And then you just realize, actually, I can do anything. Yeah, it's, it's one of the recurring themes from all the extraordinary women I talk to. It, it's that. It's sort of pushing yourself Again, sometimes in massive steps, sometimes in small steps. But, um, you know, it, if you don't push yourself, I th I'm sort of paraphrasing one of my guests from a couple of weeks ago. If you don't push yourself, how do you ever know what you're capable of doing? Exactly. Um, so you mentioned earlier, right at the beginning, that Hollywood had been in touch what happened there? Is it, is it happening? Is there a film? Who's going to play you? What's the story? Uh, well, um, I do. I do actually have a, a sort of option agreement. So I've signed. Mm. Up, I've signed up with these uh, two producers um, in LA, um, and they are just you know these things take years. Yeah, you know, they're absolutely years. So I'm certainly not holding my breath. I don't. <laughs> I've no idea whether it will ever happen. I think you know, like most of these things. For most things that get optioned, like you know one in a thousand then just mm. then just move to the next stage and then yeah. the next stage you know one out of a thousand of those will go to the next stage so you know it's I'm not so I'm certainly not holding my breath but um but I've got an agreement they're very keen they're trying to make it happen so we shall see and I've no That's idea and I've no idea who's going to play me <laughs> oh do you have a dream person I don't actually. I don't really. I know I probably should, but I don't. I'm absolutely. Well, do you no know? I idea. was thinking. 
I was thinking immediately, like if, if you'd asked me the same question about anything about me, I was thinking, oh, yeah, totally. Charlie's there on, but she's the same age as me. So she couldn't play me when I was 23. Yeah. So, and I don't know any 23 year old actresses right now. I know. I, I don't, I, I'm exactly <laughs> the same. I haven't, I, I'm, I'm so out of it, you know, like, 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 like these are, uh, producers say well yes we could get so-and-so and maybe so-and-so and maybe so-and-so what do you think and I looked at them blankly I said I've never heard of any of them <laughs> yeah so exactly. funny. so the book is called Lone Rider and I I mean I'm not just saying I really really loved it so loved it even the second time around and I had to force myself to skip through because I was like come on you haven't got time to be sitting and getting right into this again um where can we find you on social media or any of these sorts of things? Uh, well, I'm, I do actually, I, I am on Facebook and I am mm-hmm. on Instagram, but I'm not, I have to admit, I'm not, uh, I mean, I do social media as much as I have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, that's not what I'm supposed that's to say. Quite all right. But um, I'm not really, I don't, I'm not somebody who's, uh, I don't, I'm not stuck to Facebook and Instagram. So we're not going to get daily thingy. news from Elspeth Beard then I'm, on, I, on social media. I'm afraid not, no. But um, there's, I think there's more than enough of me on the internet. Uh, various, Fabulous. Various um, videos and stuff I've done. Because so. what have you done since on the bike? Because it, it, it kind of was off the cards for a little bit. And then you, but you've done stuff. You've travelled up the west coast of the states and all things like that. Yeah, I've done all sorts. Well, I, I did. I've, I, I've been to Africa. I've been to South America. Um, I did a whole load of trips um, in the early two thousands uh, mm. with. Uh, I used to run these. Well, help this friend of mine run these bike tours, and we took twenty three motorcyclists all around the world. Um, Ooh, wow. in 2002 I think that was so that was a hell of a trip wow. um, and then as I said and then I got my pilot's license in in 1991 I think so then I did these sort of flying trips so then I used to go off to America hire planes and fly around America um, I flew around Australia um, I rode I flew to Kathmandu and then I picked up an Enfield and rode over the Himalayas into into to Lhasa in Tibet um I did a trip last a good couple of years ago uh, in the mountains of uh, northern Pakistan uh I've got a trip to Tajikistan uh, mm. next uh, next year it was supposed to be well it was supposed to be last year postponed yes, to this year postponed to next year <laughs> so and these are all trips for you just yourself or taking people or with friends what's the no well these are th- this is what some of the amazing sort of spin-offs from all this book stuff is mm. that um I actually get invited as a guest oh, to, wow. to do these tours so um so uh, it's fantastic um so i'm basically flown out given a bike and told to ride all around tajikistan for three weeks and then i come home <laughs> and, and and i do it with a group of people because it's like a tour so obviously it's, yeah it's, it's so, like so a, other people are paying to be on the tour yeah. and you're there as the sort of the mascot exactly exactly brilliant and um and so and so it's, it's fantastic and it was like that in pakistan and and then actually in june in july of this year i'm i'm doing an off-road i've been invited to do a, a join an off-road uh, trip in colorado so we're doing 10 days riding uh, through the mountains of colorado um so that's good and then i'm gonna um do a few uh book book uh presentations and stuff while i'm there so it's really it's fantastic so my, my you know it's changed my whole life all over again mm. 
And how different is it now, riding the bike, doing the things that you, you, you do now compared to how it was back then? And I don't just mean you, but, you know, how, what does the world look like? How different is it? Well, I suppose, I mean, most of the trips I try and do now, I, I, I try and go to, uh, you know, as kind of remote places as I can. Mm. <clears throat> so places like northern Pakistan and like Tajikistan will probably be pretty similar to, the, mm. to what I was travelling through. 30 40 years ago and those are the kind of places I like traveling I don't like riding a bike through Europe anymore it's just mm. it's busy it's it's just not my thing mm. um I don't like I mean bits of America are good if you're in the open you know in the west coast I don't, you know I don't like busy lots of cars and I you know I, I mm. like the big open um, mountains uh, with few people and as un- unpopulated and remote as possible. And I, so I, I kind of tend to try and do those sort of places. Amazing. And I've just uh, I suddenly remembered you said that kind of one of the things that kicked all the, the sort of the revival, if you like, of this off is the irony of BMW writing an article on you. Uh, it's sort of, it was about 2008, I you think, said, yes. you sort of, yeah, following the photo, which then sort of kick-started writing the book and so on. Because didn't you write to BMW in 82 and say, I'm doing this thing? And they were like, <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, actually, yeah, I wrote to, well, no, I wrote to, I wrote to Bike Magazine ah. uh, in, the, in, in the UK. And they, they wrote an incredibly chauvinistic, pretty unpleasant letter which I'm sure they just thought was a funny ha-ha joke but it wasn't Mm. it wasn't for me Uh, and I did write to BMW uh, also and they wrote a very nice letter back Ah. they they sort of said you know I'm sure you can understand that you know the bikes you know our bikes are the best touring bikes so we get lots of people writing to us asking Mm. and have a fantastic trip and I'm sure you've chosen the right bike and so they were (laughs) they were very nice it was the British well I take it yeah, yeah, yeah. BMW. No, no, BMW were very pleasant. I mean, they didn't sponsor me or help me, but they did. They were, they were, they were at least they were, um, you know, uh, um, you know, a nice letter. No, it was the mm. bike. It was the bike press here in the UK <sighs> that were that were very disparaging um, mm. and pretty rude. Um, actually, oh dear. Elspeth, thank you. I cannot thank you enough for for taking the time to chat to me. Uh, I just think, uh, well, I'm just sort of waxing lyrical about the book now and the adventure and how much I loved how much it made me think of my uh, sort of adventure. Similar route, very different, you know, sort of thing, but I loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.